0: Welcome to the Modern Merriman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian laypeople will rightly divide the word of truth. Hey, Tom, we're back.
1: Hey, John. Good to see you, brother.
0: And we survived a an extended episode on the controversy surrounding theonomy.
1: Amen. I enjoyed now, that
0: we want to push even further and see if we can alienate anybody else in this episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we really do hope these are constructive and, and, and helpful uh, for all those who listen, including our Reformed Baptist uh, brothers and sisters and, and pastors and, and friends, as well as uh, broader um, Christians as, as they seek to wrestle through these issues. And so uh, maybe, taking in a slightly different direction uh, what we started in our conversation last week. Uh, We looked at theonomy and some of the problems with theonomy, but there have been developments of theonomy. Uh, There are a number of people today that would call themselves general equity theonomists, and and here they're seeking to draw upon the language of the Reformed Confessions, like the Westminster Confession and the uh, Second London Baptist Confession, uh, to try to Uh, say that their understanding of theonomy is in line with uh, these Reformed confessions. And so they may um, move away from certain historical theonomic uh, ideas and and doctrines Mm -hmm. in this. And and we don't want to necessarily see uh, what they're saying as the same as in every way as what we uh, critiqued and and saw as problems in uh, the previous episode. Uh, nevertheless, we, we still have concerns with what people are calling uh, general equity theonomy, right? Yeah. And, and so to, just to get started then, I, I think it's helpful. We, we, we need to go back and, and understand what does that phrase mean, right? When, when right. this phrase is used <laughs> in the confession of faith, uh, for example, uh, our own confession, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, what does our confession mean by this phrase general equity?
1: Yeah, well, I think that's the right place to start. Uh, 19.4, chapter 19, paragraph 4 of the confession says of the people of Israel, to them also he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution. And then there's a qualification. Mm-hmm. And it says their general equity only being of moral use.
0: So, really, for general equity, theonomists, they're trying to through this phrase bring in the moralness of the uh, judicial old covenant law. Then, right?
1: Well, I mean, that's going to be the question: is yeah. are they doing that or not? You know, right. is, is are they are they correctly interpreting? Mm. Uh, general equity out of the right. confession, you right? Know? Mm-hmm. And we already we have a, a clue as to what general equity means in the confession mm. uh, because it says general equity is only of moral use. Yes. Now, some of the editions of the confession on the internet. So, if you look up Second London Confession on the internet, often it'll say "modern use," but that's a typo that crept in somewhere. Mm. It's not that general equity is of modern use the original version of the second London confession says it's a moral use, the general mm-hmm. equity of the judicial laws of moral use. And so g- general equity is nothing other than what is moral. That is mm-hmm. the moral law determines the general equity of judicial law. That's what it's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and if, and we can confirm this by looking also at historical sources and uh, we find some clear explanations from historical figures as to what general equity means. So, yeah, for can example, you
0: give some, Yeah, I was going to say, can you give some yeah. examples from some uh, Reformed theologians and, and their understanding of this whole idea of general equity?
1: Yeah, and they were pretty clear. And I'm just going to give a couple, mm. but you could find more. But John Calvin clearly states this. He says, it is a fact that the law of God, which we call the moral law, is nothing else than a testimony of natural law Hmm. and of that conscience which God has engraved upon the minds of men. Then he says, Consequently, the entire scheme of this equity of which we are now speaking has been prescribed in it, that is, in the moral law. Hence, this equity, meaning moral law, alone must be the goal and rule and limit of all laws Mm. and that's from the institutes uh, 4 20 uh, sections 15 and 16. right and then theodore beza said this he says although we do not hold to the forms of the mosaic polity which is pretty strong Mm -hmm. we do not hold to the forms of the mosaic polity yet when such judicial laws prescribe equity and judgments which is part of the decalogue Mm. We, not being under obligation to them insofar as they were prescribed by Moses to only one people, are nevertheless bound to observe them to the extent extent that they embrace that general equity, which should everywhere be in force. Mm. So here we see Beza saying, we're not under the Mosaic judicial law, except for those parts that are the Decalogue, moral law that are are, uh, informed by or that explain the Decalogue itself. He goes on, this is quoting Beza again, he says, the Lord commands that a deposit be returned and that thieves be punished because it follows natural equity Hmm. and and expounds that perpetual precept of the Decalogue, thou shalt not steal. To this extent are all bound to fulfill them both. Hmm. So here is, this is a clear picture of the meaning of the historic term general equity. So sometimes it seems to me that those who use the term general equity theonomy Mm -hmm. what they really mean is that the core principle or the essence of a particular judicial law abides Mm -hmm. so that you can go to any judicial law and ask the question now what's the core principle here that we can apply today Mm -hmm. and that's what continues that's what general equity theonomy is but that is that is not what the confession means when it says that the that the general equity of the judicial laws of moral use. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, what it means is we need to go to the judicial laws of the old covenant and say, is this law based on any aspect of God's moral law, which is natural and revealed in the Ten Commandments? Mm-hmm. That's how we should approach it.
0: That's right. That's right. So then, if the confession says that the general equity of the judicial of the judicial laws are of moral use, then uh, what would you say are some wrong ways to handle Old Covenant judicial laws? Well,
1: uh, F- Francis Chiritan, mm-hmm. um in his Institutes of Elinctic Theology says that there are two wrong extremes in dealing with judicial law. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, the antinomians abrogate all of the judicial law. Mm-hmm. They say, well, the judicial law was just a part of the Old Covenant, and now the Old Covenant's abrogated, and so, the judicial law is ab- abrogated just simply and absolutely. But that's wrong because it neglects to acknowledge that, that the general equity of moral law is the basis of many judicial laws. So, that's one far left extreme. right? But there's another opposite excess. So, here's a far right extreme. According to Chiritan, uh s- some say that the judicial law is still in force and should be retained, and that Christian states are to be governed like the Jewish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Churchin says that's wrong, because it refuses to make any distinctions in judicial law and just imports the whole thing to modern states. Um, and the reason it's wrong is because it doesn't see that judicial laws have both a positive, time-bound, temporal element that is unique to the nation of Israel, but also some of them are undergirded by moral law. Right. Um, so. so
0: really, you know, it, it's not that while this form of theonomy, uh, as we understand it today, again, uh, coming through, you know, Rashtuni and Bonson and you know, North, North and, um, yeah. while it's it's in some sense a recent development, in, in another way, uh, these debates go way back in the Reformed tradition. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, clearly, Puritan yeah. is is dealing with these same kinds of questions, uh, as, as well as <laughs> others in, in the Reformed right. tradition.
1: Yeah, and Cheriton says that people who make those that extreme mistake of just importing the whole judicial law and, and just putting it down like a template upon all civil, civil states uh, everywhere, uh, they're failing to see that the judicial law had more than one goal in it.
0: Mm.
1: So they seem to think that this is just the ideal for how to govern a nation, but they're missing the point that judicial laws had various purposes and goals. And one of the goals of judicial law was to be a type of the kingdom of Christ. Hmm. Many of of, judici- of the laws, uh, the civil laws of Israel were symbols of the new covenant. And now with the coming of Christ, they're fulfilled and they're abolished. For example, the law of Jubilee, mm-hmm. not sowing fields with different kinds of seed, not wearing clothing of wool and linen and so on. Those are all obviously typological laws and there's many more. Right. You know, another goal of Old Covenant judicial law was to preserve the line of promise until the coming of Christ. You remember, God mm-hmm. made a promise to Abraham, and how did he preserve that line of promise? Well, there's two ways. The judicial law preserves the line of Abraham from whom Christ would come. Mm-hmm. First, it served to establish a, an, a particular and unusual cult- culture that Acted like a protective capsule around the people, making them seem strange to other people around them, which helped to prevent intermarrying or easy mingling. Mm. So it made them strange on purpose, different. That was one way that God was using judicial law, civil law, to, to protect the line of promise. A second way God used judicial old covenant judicial law to preserve the line of promise is it it did contain some unusually harsh penalties that served to outwardly coerce and chasten the nation to protect them from destroying themselves and thus snuffing out the line of promise. And you see this argument made in Galatians as well. So harsh penalties yeah. so that the nation couldn't get too far out of hand and, mm-hmm. and destroy itself from the inside. Um, also, the whole Israelite governmental system was accommodated to those kinds of distinctive goals. Thus, the system of the government of ancient Israel is also uh, has a particular goal, and now that the the state of Israel has reached its purpose, and Jesus, and the old covenant is fulfilled in Christ, it's all abolished. Right, and so as we consider then the nation of Israel, uh,
0: you know how how should we then distinguish between this whole idea of general equity with particular equity? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and a lot of people ask that. They say, well, the confession speaks of, you know, the general equities of moral use. Well, what's the difference between that and particular equity? Well, mm-hmm. particular equity or particular right of judicial law includes aspects of the law that particularly and uniquely apply to the Jewish people and their particular culture. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this would include lands pertain- or laws pertaining to the land of Canaan.
0: Mm-hmm
1: particular equity dividing the land of canaan among the 12 tribes that's particular Mm -hmm. equity law about a husband's brother or the kinsman redeemer law that's unique to a cultural issue the regulation of polygamy you know i mean why would god not just ban polygamy why would he regulate polygamy polygamy is a sin well not all sins were banned on old covenant judicial law they weren't only Mm -hmm. certain ones and god was regulating them not approving of them Laws about property and inheritance that were unique to the ancient Near Eastern customs law, the law of jealousy, the law of selling a son, the law about resting the fields, all such laws as these were laws of particular equity, Mm -hmm. but the general equity or the general right of judicial law was founded upon the law of nature common to all. Mm. So this recognizes that in general equity, it's, uh, for example, laws that carry through that we, we would look at judicial laws and we would find laws of general equity pertaining to things like public trials, the fact that a crime ought to be punished, that uh, laws uh, forbidding the oppression of widows and orphans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, you know, oppression is universally wrong. It's a violation of moral and natural law. Absolutely. And strangers, these all have general equity in them and they're pervasive through the old covenant. So, if, if that's not how we're to understand general equity and,
0: and how we shouldn't be simplistically applying judicial law, then what method should we use to discover this perpetual natural element then of the judicial law?
1: Yeah, well, F- Francis Cheriton is also very helpful here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe in studying this more widely than just Cheriton, Churton is following the the traditional procedure that uncovers general equity Mm. and judicial law and so he he gives us three things that we should look for so when you're you're looking at a judicial law of the old covenant you need to find one of these three things in order to say that it's general equity Mm -hmm. first we need to look at look for elements in judicial law that cut across all cultures including non-christian cultures Mm. so for example the greeks and the romans had many things in their own laws that agree with the judicial law Mm-hmm. And the point is that if an old covenant judicial law is basically natural, then we'll see it in non-Christian nations, and it won't be unique to old covenant judicial law. You see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if it's natural, other people would have seen this and and thus begun to practice it. So obviously, in general, uh, you know, there, it's it's generally
0: unacceptable in societies to murder. To, yes, to give an obvious example. I mean, they don't need special sure. revelation. Uh, from God's old covenant moral law uh, to understand that uh, murder is wrong right right and so when we when we look at certain judicial laws in light of that we recognize the the general mm-hmm. equity to it right
1: yeah that's I mean that's a very obvious one you can get sure. even more detailed in things like Greek and Roman law that that seems to be observing general natural principles that also appear in old covenant judicial law mm, mm-hmm. you know that are more about the mechanics of like court procedures and you know lo- rules of evidence and this kind of a thing right so yes absolutely uh, but uh, so that's the first thing mm-hmm. in determining general equity we should look for elements in judicial law that cut across all cultures mm-hmm. but second we should look for elements in judicial law that are taught in the ten commandments right or that further explain and confirm the Ten Commandments. And this is really a key point. If a judicial law has general equity in it, then we need to prove that it's connected to the Decalogue. Mm -hmm. So what what we're doing is we begin with the Ten Commandments. You start Mm -hmm. there, and then you look at the judicial law, and then you see if you can find aspects or explanations of the Ten Commandments in the judicial law. And if you can, then it's got general equity in it.
0: You see? So critical, right? The Ten Commandments being a summation of the moral law of God. And natural, uh, yeah. Moral and and, the, and natural. yeah, of course, the, the revelation of the natural law of God in that way, that uh, the where we see those things coming out in the judicial law, uh, we, we recognize that general equity there, right?
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's a third thing, though, mm-hmm. a third way to find general equity in a judicial law is if that law is repeated in the New Testament it's a it's a sign that 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 law has general equity in it. for mm-hmm. so, for example, requiring two or three witnesses to establish a crime, you know mm-hmm. uh, as to to bear witness against someone is necessary before that person is convicted. Mm-hmm. You know, we even use this in in our ecclesiastical uh, polity, where sure. you know we're before church discipline, we need two or three witnesses for someone. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. rooted in a natural law law principle and so that's how we determine the general equity of judicial law first we see if we can find it in non-christian nations second we look for it in the ten commandments third we look for it in the new testament and uh, we only will say that we only should say that a a law has general equity if it meets one of these criteria Mm -hmm. now this is an important concluding point okay Mm -hmm. and it's this this is exactly the same procedure we would use in finding general equity in the laws of any nation at all Mm. Not just old covenant judicial law, but we could study Greek or Roman law and apply these same criteria and arrive at general equity, mm. which would could then lead us to apply Greek or Roman law in our own society.
0: and exactly. and have been used, right? I mean, our absolutely in America at least uh, and, and through much of the West, uh, we draw upon uh, Greek and Roman law in, in our own systems of governance.
1: Yes, we do. And so mm. they'd use these procedures, and you, you see it in our, in our legal system. Uh, Cheriton, Francis Cheriton, closes by his, this section on mm. uh, the judicial law by saying this, although the best and wisest laws, as far as the state of that people was concerned, were sanctioned by God, it does not follow that on this account they ought to be perpetual. Mm. God from positive and free right could give them for a certain time and for certain reasons to some one nation, which would not have force with respect to others. What is good for one, and he means nation, is not immediately so for another. Hmm. And then he says, when the Roman laws are to be preferred to the Mosaic, for example, they are not preferred simply As enacted by men, but as derived from natural and common right or general equity, they can be more suitable to places, times, and persons. So, sometimes you would prefer a Roman law to a judicial law if the Old Covenant judicial law doesn't have uh, general equity in it, but the Roman law does. Hmm. Yeah, so it's
0: not as simple as saying God's law or man's law. Right.
1: <laughs> well, it is if you know what God's law is. That's
0: true. True enough. But it, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but, but that, that's the whole point. When, when when that phrase is used, it's kind of like either it's divinely given through scripture, God's law, or it's autonomous sinful human human law, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, no, that's vastly oversimplistic here. Uh when when we consider again this whole idea of natural revelation and natural law, and, and what comes through creation and conscience, what develops uh, through uh, society because of this common grace, um, we, we need to take all of this into account to have a proper understanding of uh, how God's law uh, operates or, or should operate in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then yeah. what role should we, as we consider God's old covenant judicial law, have, in light of everything we've said, uh, in today's political climate, let's let's move to the positive yeah. here, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um Well, when it comes to upholding good order in society, we should look for general equity in Old Covenant judicial law. Sure, mm. but we should also look for general equity in any law, civil law, Roman law, Greek law, or wherever we might find general equity. The mm. goal is good law for good a good social order, uh, but civil government should only apply laws of the general or laws of general equity uh, within its particular jurisdictional boundaries. So here's what I mean by that. Okay. Um, Baptists and American Reformed Christians have always argued that the civil government has no authority or, and no right to enforce the first table of the moral law
0: Mm.
1: or to coerce right worship or to punish false worship. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Uh, American Reformed Christians, along with Baptists, said let people be Muslims or papists or whatever they want. It's not the responsibility of the civil authorities to punish them in the least for their false worship. Mm. And that's because we're not under the Israelite theocracy. Right. God did not sanction theocracies for all the nations of the world. Mm -hmm. And so if we 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 we
0: tolerate uh, false worship, even wicked and evil worship, Mm-hmm. uh in in society uh while seeking to proclaim the gospel of christ so that they will again uh come to recognize uh the 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 grace of god and and, and embrace these truths in jesus and then see through both uh natural revelation and special revelation uh these truths and and, and how they are to uh n- not only manifest themselves in our personal lives but also in society
1: yeah and what what we're doing here is is natural and general law includes the first or or natural law and general Mm -hmm. revelation includes the first table right and so israel then the the judicial law of israel enforced that
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: but but baptist argued that was for a unique reason it was Mm. for how god had chosen and appointed them for their particular task in this world Mm -hmm. and and we're not under that anymore so but so if we look at though the kind of civil government that God established under the noaic covenant which is a covenant made with all nations mm-hmm. with all men it's a covenant with the world um, it seems right for governments to enforce lex talionis and that's all because you know you have that part in genesis 9 of the Noahic covenant, where it says, if a man sheds another man's blood, then by man shall his blood be shed. And if you mm-hmm. take that as a Hebrew Jessive, which I think is the right and because it goes on and it says, um, for man is made in the image of God. So this isn't just a description of what does happen that when when murder occurs. You know, the murderer gets his life taken. It's rather a description of what ought to happen because people are made in the image of God. And the Mm -hmm. broader principle there of the the death penalty is for murder is lex talionis, an Mm -hmm. eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Mm -hmm. which is that the the punishment should fit the crime, that you should make the victim whole. And so, uh, lex talionis says is, I believe, it's the principle of civil government. It is the principle of civil Mm -hmm. government. And it says if you harm someone physically or financially, the authorities should use force to, an ex- to exact an equal and just penalty to make the victim whole. Mm-hmm. And so physical violence up into including murder as well as theft or property damage and financial harm should be punished by the civil authorities. This would include any actions or even speech that could be proven to lead to physical or financial harm. And when the government does more than this, it's starting to get out of its lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, the government
0: is responsible for what's often said: retributive justice and restorative justice. Right? That that this is a reality that that is um, given jurisdictionally by God to the civil authorities.
1: Yeah, at an individual level, mm-hmm. I would say it mm-hmm. seems that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then oh,
0: so. when we, again, go back to the theonomy and, and especially those uh, reconstructionists uh, and some of their arguments, they argue very differently, right? When, when we look at this whole uh, yeah, they, application they, and understanding.
1: So <clears throat> the reform tradition accepted that the, the, the whole general equity mm-hmm. of the moral law or the general equity of, of judicial law should be imposed upon societies in some way. And so they right. actually did argue for, you know, punishing heretics and That's foreign true. blasphemers and so on. So what I'm saying, though, is that there was a further refinement of this mm. in Baptist ecclesiology and even among like the the whole the Westminster Confession of Faith, the second American edition, the American edition of that. Mm-hmm further limited governmental authority to just the second table in the in the way that I'm speaking more. So Lex Talianus. But yeah, theonomic reconstructionists want to buy the whole system and Mm. just 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 bring the whole mosaic civil code over together with all of its, you know, lavish use of the death penalty for all manner of things. Right. So Um, they still
0: even with general equity will try to, in a sense, uh, bring in these uh, typological judicial laws or, or or other positive laws given to israel and seek to incorporate them today into our yeah. uh, and, laws and society
1: yes and what they'll say is the theonomic reconstructionists will say well look we've tried this in america already and it's failed mm. just look Look at all the lawlessness and the wickedness in society. And so we need to try something new. We need to massively expand the authority of the government for the death penalty, punish false worship and and heretics and so on. Mm. But, you know, I would argue that proper civil government fails when God withdraws his common grace and he's bringing judgment upon a people for their wickedness. Mm. And the problem today is that we're actually seeing a new form of wicked theocracy on the rise. Mm. It's a pagan religion taking over the levers of power and the culture and it's no different from the pagan theocracies of england you know and early america that wore christian clothing
0: right and so the, the these there's in this worship of false gods uh in american society whether or not these false gods are you know deities or some some other form of of idolatry uh that that in this uh, there is another kind of theocracy that's being built with just as strong of a moral code uh, and, and ethical laws that are required to be enacted and
1: enforced in society, right? Absolutely. And, mm. and with our forefathers, I would argue that the answer to theocracy is not another form of theocracy. Mm. The answer, the, the biblical and natural law answer to theocracy is religious liberty, and a government committing committed only to enforcing good order and making victims whole, not to advancing uh, uh, you know, the, the kingdom of God or some religious cause. Right,
0: right. And, and so here we, we see the limitation of government, why uh, liberty is uh, first principle, I mean, it, uh, of, of a, a well-ordered society. And why, even in our own nation, we have, as the first um, amendment of our constitution, this, this recognition of uh, religious liberty.
1: Yeah, and that, just to throw in one other thing here, mm-hmm. that that is not to, to say that it's okay for there to be false worshipers in a country. It's not. It's just to insist that how is false worship corrected, not with the sword of steel from the civil authority, but false worship is corrected through the church's faithful proclamation of the law and the gospel for the conversion of sinners. So the church has uh, the sword of the spirit, the word and the spirit, Mm. and God will save his chosen people through that means. But the state is limited in its jurisdictional authority not to correct false worship. Amen.
0: And so we need to keep distinguished the weapons of this world <laughs> uh, with the weapons of the kingdom of Christ. Right, and right. and uh, unfortunately with theonomy those can quickly get confused uh, because in old Old uh, Testament Israel uh, there was this uh, bringing together of civil uh, authority and jurisdiction with the, uh, with the moral uh, and ecclesiastical uh, authority of, of uh, the worship of, of God's people,
1: right That's right. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well I really appreciate that, Tom, and, and hope that again, this will bring some uh, construction to this conversation and some clarity uh, in light of the Reformed and, and Baptist tradition. And so thank you uh, for bringing that. Uh, to us today and, and for us having this conversation. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the Modern Merriman podcast, The Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org. Yeah. No, you guys just you guys just sound like a bunch of pietists here.
1: <laughs> We're lazy Pietists. We just don't even. We don't want to do. I,
0: I've, I've been accused of that uh, by some of those that, that seem to pull in that direction. Of you don't care about society. You don't care about it. You know, you just you just want to be holed yeah. up and preach the gospel in in the four walls of the church. And We're I'm just, just
1: spiritualists. Like, you know, when yeah. I get through this podcast, I'm just going to go in my closet and pray quietly till the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. because <laughs> yeah. that's what's refreshing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: well i you know i in, don't know in all of the denouncements of pietism sometimes i wonder if it's like have we lost something i mean it is good to be pietistic right i mean i realize the dangers of pietism
1: yeah that's But true. i mean what
0: what is so i mean man spending time in your prayer closet spending time in the word
1: of god preaching the gospel yeah. I, I those are there's a great book by lewis bailey called the practice of piety which mm-hmm. is all about, you know, prayerful communion with the Lord and mm-hmm. devotion, meditation. Yeah. Those things aren't being emphasized right now in the Reformed community mm-hmm. as
0: much. Right. It's, it's kind of seen as a Gnostic, you know, just heavenly mindedness that doesn't care about this world. And uh, But again, it, 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 there are truths in going too far in that direction, of course, but but man, the more I read the New Testament, we are, I mean, it's, it's about our future hope, right? <laughs> it's about the age to come and pietism
1: refused to say there was any social application at all of Mm -hmm. of god and his truth that's what they did so they just drew in and they ignored the rest and that's what we're accused of doing but in fact what we're doing is we're we are applying it to all of society we're applying god and christ and the the whole of god's truth and and his law to Mm -hmm. society but we think we're doing it biblically Right. And, and properly. And, and so that's where the debate is, mm-hmm. really, is how to. And it's, it's really not productive to just accuse our side of not engaging society or culture when, we're, when what we're doing is engaging it differently.